Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we continue our visit and discussion of Ireland. But for our St. Patrick's special episode, I'd like to start with St. Patrick. Who, who, who is he? Who's that guy? And discuss some more paranormal hotspots in Ireland. And then I'd like to close with a very special statue in Cork County. Or County Cork, I guess that's the way the Irish say it. So, let's talk about St. Patrick. St. Patrick, you know, started out as a regular old guy. He was born into a wealthy British family. So, St. Patrick's actually not even Irish. He's British, and while he was about 16 years old, he was kidnapped and abducted by some Irish raiders who brought him back to Ireland. Now, for the next six years, he would actually be a slave. He would be enslaved, and he would be made to work as a sheep herder, so he was always outdoors, always away from people, and you know, obviously not being Irish and in a foreign country, he was alone. He was he felt lonely and he felt afraid. And it was during this time he really leaned on his religion. And it, uh, his father, for being a wealthy man, he himself was a deacon, so he was a minister. And so these are the things, these are the tools that Patrick had relied upon during his enslavement. Now... After about six years, he started to hear a voice uh, calling to him and telling him to return home. So he packed up what little he had and walked 200 miles to the coast of Ireland, hitched a ride on a boat sailing for Britain, and made it home. But it was not a very adventure. It was, you know, not a very adventurous journey from. On the ship, he basically was starving by the time he arrived back home to Britain. And after he recovered, he actually began having these dreams about converting Irish people to to Christians and welcoming them into Christianity. So for the next 15 years, he learned the ways of a pastor, the devout Christian, began studying and training in religious courses. And once he was done with that, he was sent back to Ireland with a dual mission, if you will, to administer Christians who were already living in Ireland, so, you know, perform the the Christian rites, and to convert the remaining Irish, if you will. 
Now, he's actually well known for the legend of freeing Ireland of snakes. Well, you know, science, science bitch, if you will. <laughs> science bitch. Um, because of the last ice age, or during one of the last ice age, Ireland was actually too cold for snakes. So, not to debunk that little um, myth, <laughs> but to debunk it. So, he, he did not free Ireland of snakes, but he did actually, and this is probably why he's pretty popular, he did actually incorporate a lot of the paganism and rituals of the Irish people into the Christian religion, which, you know, the Catholic religion had done frequently and often, Halloween being one of the most obvious pagan religions that the Catholic Church, you know, incorporated into their belief system to in, engage with the locals and to basically get new recruitments. But Patrick did the same thing. He was you know, so well-liked. The day that it is believed that he died on, March 17th, became St. Patrick's Day. Now, he actually was never canonized as a saint, but that doesn't matter, really. He was important to Ireland, and everybody is Irish on St. Patrick's Day. So that's the story. He was a good guy. He was a good uh, Christian who converted the Irish people in a far more probably humane way than some of the ways the Catholics converted people. But we're not going to get into that. Anywho, uh, since we're still here, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit more about the paranormal hotspots of Ireland. Now, as I touched on before, we had stayed in Dublin just the one day. And like many tourists before us, and I have no doubt many tourists after us, we then woke up, got into our little rent car, and headed out to see the rest of the country. Now, during our trip, I had the opportunity to drive around the Ring of Kerry and the Ring of Dingle. Believe it or not, I actually thought the Ring of Dingle was far more interesting and lovely. Now, bear in mind, we had gone in April, so the weather was still a bit cold and rainy. But, I mean, it's Ireland. It's in the middle of... It's an island in the middle of the ocean. So, it's always cold and rainy. But this was, you know, before things bloomed and, you know, the spring had sprung. But to me, it just seemed like the Ring of Dingle just had far more interesting things to look at. And even the landscape was far more captivating. In fact, there was one part where it looked as if the land was swept up in some sort of shape of a wave and was just frozen. So, and you could just, you know, driving around, you just see all these old, uh, ruins of homes and these old cemeteries and old churches and at one point in time we even came across a sundial a Roman sundial in the middle of this graveyard the cemetery and it was just just amazing an amazing experience and if you don't know where the Ring of Dingle is it's actually in the southwest section of Ireland and 
a part of this and part of the reason why we did the Ring of Dingle was because on that particular section of Ireland, they have the beehive huts. And one in particular that is in awesome condition is actually a church. So we saw the the beehive huts, we saw the stone houses, and it was just, to me, very intense in terms of the history of the, the idea that people lived here and just awe. The word is awe. I mean, I, I cannot imagine living in a stone-made house, how cold it must have been, but that was, you know, rocks are <laughs> what they have in Ireland, if you don't know that. Um so uh, it was just drawing to me. It was appealing to me, and it was definitely worth, in conjunction with the beauty of the Ring of Dingle, just absolutely wonderful. Now, also on that side of Ireland is Kingsale, and Kingsale is Charles Fort. Charles Fort is considered to be one of Ireland's major paranormal hotspots. Open for business in the 1670s, it was operated by the British. And besides being a fort of defense, because it's there's a really nice port there, it also served as a place of residency for the military. And today, it is haunted by the White Lady of Kingsale. So here's the story. In the 1870s, a young lady named Wilful Wanderer was married to Officer Sir Trevor Ashurst. One day... Ashurst swapped places with the sentry, and at this post, Ashford fell asleep. Well, Will Fool's father, who was the commander of the fort, saw this sentry asleep, drew out his pistol, and shot him. Sadly, it was only after killing Ashurst that the commander realized that he had killed his own son-in-law. After learning what had happened, Wilful, in complete and utter despair, leapt to her death from the battlements. And when the commander learned that his daughter had committed suicide, he then pulled out his gun again and shot himself. So, sadly, and probably because of her suicide, Wilful is now known as the White Lady of Kingsale. And she has been seen roaming the grounds of Charles Fort, even walking through doors. Now, we had the opportunity of coming into this beautiful town, and it it's a very picturesque port-side uh, town. And we took a tour, and our tour guide was a very jolly, jolly man. His Irish accent was a bit heavy, so it was, it was a little hard to understand him. However, he did share one of one of their most infamous, famous stories. Now, Charles Fort is a five-star battlement. And by, or, now, Charles Fort is a five-star fort, which does not necessarily mean five-star luxury. It, it means it has five battlements along its defense wall, outer defense wall. And the story goes that one soldier went to man his, his battlement in the middle of the night, and it was dark, there was no moon, and as he made it to the top, he sees what he perceives is the devil sitting and waiting for him. So he panics, probably poops himself, runs down, and says 
the devil's up there, the devil's up there, and his commander's not having it. And he's like, you need to get up there, you need to you know, man your post. And the soldier's like, no, 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 the devil's up there, the devil's up there. And, you know, the commander looks at him, he sees the man sweating, he's panic-stricken, he's probably even got that, you know, high-pitched girly voice going on. And so he orders a group of soldiers to arm themselves, and this entire group actually charges the paddle, the the battlement, and as they run up this, you know, make it to the top of this battlement, they come across this dark image sitting in the shape of Satan. Well, when they shine their torch, as they would call it in Ireland, their tor- their lantern, they see that a goat had fallen asleep. Sitting upright <laughs> on the battlement. So it wasn't the devil, but it was a goat who normally isn't there taking a little rest in the upright position. So <laughs> I I don't remember what happened to the soldier, but my guess is everybody had a great laugh. But thanks to the white lady, it is one of... Ireland's most haunted places. Now, another another place that is haunted is Ross Castle. I did actually have the opportunity to tour Ross Castle. It is actually a very nice castle, very neat, very clean, very straight. Straight is the word I would use. Type of a castle. It is located on the shores of Lo Shili, which is a lake. It was built in 1533 by the English lord of Devon, Richard Nugent. And he had a really interesting nickname. He was also known as the Black Baron. Well, the Baron had a daughter by the name of Sabrina who lived with him in Ireland. And the story goes that in 1536, Sabrina met a handsome young man named Orwin. Orwin happened to be the son of O'Reilly Chieftain. And they actually just happened upon each other on a bridge at the edge of her father's property. Well, considering that she was English and Orwin was Irish, this obviously is your basic Romeo and Juliet scenario. And just like Romeo and Juliet, Sabrina and Orwin decided to elope. They took out a boat and started rowing across the lake when a storm hit and capsized their boat. Orrin struck his head on a rock beneath the shallow lake and died, while Sabrina was rescued. Now, she was quite upset. She was very, it was a traumatic moment. And after having been rescued, she, you know, fell unconscious. And when she woke up three days later, and saw that her beloved not only had died, but had seen his actual body laid out in the palace chapel. She basically loses it. She, you know, lets out this blood-curling scream, and she's just absolutely devastated. And she dies from the shock of seeing her beloved dead. But Sabrina and Oren are buried together in a mound on the castle grounds. But it is said that Sabrina... You know, having this horrible, shocking moment, the last days of her life, 
still traumatized by it and took that trauma with her on the other side. She now haunts Frost Castle, and it is believed that she is in search of her beloved. And it is also said that you can hear her agonizing screaming and wailing to this day anytime between 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, especially in the back room of the castle. In addition to Sabrina, it is said that the Black Baron's presence is also seen, and it is believed that he is roaming around the castle and the grounds grieving the loss of his beloved daughter. So we've talked about a fort that is haunted. We've spoken of a castle that is haunted. Let's talk about a battlefield that is considered haunted. I am referring to the battle site of the Battle of Ogrim. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that, even though it is English. So here's the paranormal sitch. During the William Knight War, which is a war that was fought between the Jacobites who supported James II, the last Catholic monarch of England, and the Protestant William III, there was a battle called the Battle of Ogrim. And this battle occurred in County Galloway in 1691. Now, in hindsight and basically 300 years later, this battle is actually considered the decisive battle during this war. And meeting on this battle were 40,000 men who took part in this, you know, bloodiest war battle in the history of Ireland. After everything was said and done, after the battle was over, it is believed that somewhere between 5,000 and 7,000 men were killed And for some reason, their corpse was left on the battlefield for up to a year or longer. This meant that not only did the stench of their rotting bodies fill the air, but animals took to eating the people and, you know, just the blood was, the ground was soaked with blood and just nasty business. But again, these poor bodies were left unattended, unburied for more than a year. And and just so you know, the uh, initially the battle was actually going the way of the Jacobites, those who had supported James II. But when General St. Ruth, who was a French commander, who was sent by the French King Louis the the 14th, you know, to help the Irish Uh, When he was decapitated by a cannonball, the Jacobites were forced to retreat. And so it is believed that the apparitions that are still roaming the grounds are actually the Jacobites in their retreat. And the Williamites, the ones who supporting Protestant William III, it you know is pouncing and killing and slaughtering the soldiers. So the apparition is of them being slaughtered and there is actually an apparition of a dog apparently there was a dog among the soldiers the jacobites that was also slaughtered which i don't normally agree with killing dogs but either way that is what the the belief is and that's what you hear now this battlefield known now as the bloody hollow is again 
where you can see these apparitions, you could see this poor dog, and, you know, basically you'll hear and potentially smell the sad, sad memory imprinted on this hollow ground. Now, and I do believe that there is, without a doubt, the possibility that tragic moments or impressions of people who existed upon and lived in certain areas, the area captures and relives tragic moments or what rather contributes to something being paranormal. Okay, so we have covered a fort. We have covered a castle. We have now covered a battlefield. Let's talk about a hunting lodge. So, not necessarily a castle, but definitely a, uh, a place of interest. I am, of course, referring to the hunting lodge on Mount Pillar Hill, uh, commonly <laughs> referred to as the Hellfire Club. So, let's talk about William Cannoli's Folly. In 1725, William Cannoli, the Speaker of the Irish House of Commons, instructed to have a hunting lodge built on Mount Pillar Hill. During the construction of this hunting lodge, workers decided to use stones from an ancient passive grave and carn as part of the foundation of the building. And it is believed that this was the beginning of bringing basically bad luck to the building. Shortly after it finished, a very strange occurrence happened. Apparently, the slate roof of the building blew off. And this led many to believe that that had been the work of the devil. And some also claimed that it was because Connolly disrespected the dead by taking the stones from the graveyard. Now, when he had uh, this roof repaired, again, not maybe not learning lessons or disagreeing or just outright dismissing the rumors and, you know, the, the complaints, the workers again took stones from the same ancient grave passage and the carn. So... About 10 years after its original construction, and about six years after William's death, the family decided to rent out the building to the Irish Hellfire Club, which was basically a self-declared club for quote-unquote gentlemen who engaged in immoral and lewd conduct. So what exactly is the Hellfire Club? Well, the Hellfire Club was originally founded in 1718 in London by a gentleman by the name of Philip, the Duke of Warrington. Well, obviously, over time, this the, the club kind of spread out and started having chapters in different areas, which is why there's an Irish chapter. And during the years that this lodge was used by the Hellfire Club, it is believed that these gentlemen engaged in massive bouts of drunkenness, in massive orgies. They conducted black masses to, you know, worship the devil. They committed sacrifices, and they even committed murder. In fact, over the years, 
stories surrounding the Hellfire Club just, you know, became this enormous situation where there was a story of the group was accused of kidnapping, killing, and eating a local farmer's daughter. There was a story of where the house actually even caught on fire during a sacrifice ritual where they were sacrificing a dwarf. There's even a a famous story, actually. I think I've even seen this story in some sort of documentary about Ireland of where one night they were partying, partying pretty hard, and there was a knock at the door. And when they opened it up, there was a cloak figure who was invited in by the men. They all proceeded to continue drinking. They all proceeded to play cards and games. And at one point in time, as they were playing cards, one particular human participant dropped his card and when he bent down to pick up the card he noticed that their strange guest had cloven hooves and when it dawned on this 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 human that this was potentially satan himself the story goes that this strange stranger burst into flames leaving the men completely astonished with you know this story to share and just like the idea that they were you know out of line and misconducting themselves and because they were rich and could buy themselves out of trouble at one point in time it was philip who actually damages the building completely permanently by setting fire that he starts when he actually poured brandy on someone and lit that person on fire. The fire, of course, got out of control and burnt throughout the building and actually ended up killing other people. So definitely not a very um, uh, a pure place to go, basically. It's just not pure, not clean, not good place to go. So, to this day, you can actually visit the ruins of this, you know, hunting lodge, this once hunting lodge of a gentleman who that was built using stones from a ancient grave passage, which probably wasn't a good idea from the beginning. All right, so we've covered a fort, we've covered a castle, we've covered a battlefield, which makes perfect sense, and we covered a hunting lodge. I'd like to close out tonight's episode in terms of the paranormal hotspots with Lep Castle. Now, if you're into the paranormal, chances are you have heard about Lep Castle because Lep Castle is well known to be haunted and well known worldwide to be haunted. Now, Part of the reason why I'm using Lip Castle as the last paranormal hotspot is because this was one of the places that we did actually uh, have the wonderful opportunity to walk through and look at and just have a wonderful, you know, tour of the castle. So it is actually located in the heart of Ireland, if you will, and I'm talking about Rosa Cree. I'm probably mispronouncing that word, but... And I remember the morning that we were scheduled to tour Lep Castle. And the, and the funny part was we had like an hour to kill. 
before they were expecting us. And so we just kind of just started driving, you know, the motorway, the moat, you know, the motorways. They're not called highways in Ireland. I, I said that earlier. Uh, the motorways, that's how come when you look at a map of Ireland and you see the motorways, it starts with an M, motorway. Uh, we just, you know, started driving up and down, taking pictures, looking just at the beauty of Ireland. So the person that I was with was taking video, and you can hear me as we actually happen upon Lep Castle, not realizing, okay, not realizing it was Lep Castle. You hear me go, oh, my God, look at this derelict, old, charming castle. And, you know, we're just, we, we stop and we're looking at it, and we're just kind of, admiring it and then we take off only to learn that this was Lep Castle <laughs> later. So yeah, speaking of Le- Lep Castle, let's talk about the history that makes it the current paranormal hotspot that it is today. Built in the early 1500s by the O'Carroll clan, the O'Carroll clan was a very brutal and rough lot, a group of people, a family if you will. They actually even used the castle as a place to stage the massacres of rivals and to kill one another. So basically nobody's safe. Guests aren't safe. Soldiers aren't safe. People who are anywhere near this castle, nobody's safe. And In fact, one of the famous stories is in 1532 when the chieftain, the O'Carroll chieftain dies, the sons all kind of look to each other to figure out who they have to kill in order to succeed and take power. And one of the sons, uh, a one-eyed son actually, named Teg O'Carroll actually ends up murdering his brother while his brother was not only attending Mass, he was saying Mass. So he rushes in the chapel portion of the castle, and he not only slaughters his brother, he slaughters his brother's family, his uh, uh, allies, and they even slaughter the priest. Now, today, we call the chapel the Bloody Chapel. And the people there, including the priest, is just one of the many spirits that haunt the castle today. Now, later in the 1500s, still with the O'Carroll clan, they were at war with the Earl of Tyrone. And the last chieftain of the O'Carroll clans, he actually ends up hiring the McManning clan to fight for him. And after one particular battle, they come back and they're sleeping. And for some reason, this chieftain turns around and murders this clan while they sleep. And... Because they've been slaughtered in their sleep by who they considered an ally. Their ghosts also haunt the castle. In fact, this this place just has so many deaths. It's, it's no wonder. It's absolutely no wonder why this castle is considered haunted. Now, obviously, over time, over wars, over battles... The castle itself suffers some damage, and it is said in 1922, during the Irish Civil War, the castle gets destroyed, and they decide to do some repair work. And during the construction, the repair work, it a secret dungeon filled with corpse that they didn't even know was there. It was a dungeon hidden behind an altar, 
with a with a trap door was discovered and below the trap door was basically spiked obelites so spikes spiked spikes and they found so many skeletons that had been you know shoved down the trap door and basically stuck on these spikes and were left to either die of their injuries or starvation so this castle with this brutal and bloody history obviously has a lot of people whose life ended in tragedy probably you know for the ones that were asleep cut short brutally cut short so the owner in the early 1920s, after probably discovering this secret dungeon, her, her name is Mildred Darby. She actually ends up holding a seance. And her goal, her, her desire, was to basically expel all these bad juju ghosts from her castle because, I mean, she's seeing the ghostly figures. She's smelling... Rot, you know the smells of rotting corpse and you know she's just having all these experiences now she basically ends up exercising the castle you know exercising in terms of exorcists <laughs> but the ghosts don't leave but they do actually calm down so the ghosts are still there and they're not all that scary anymore but they're still there and that again is part of the reason why Lep Castle and one other entity that is part of Lep Castle's history is this entity, this creature lives like not in the basement, but underneath the castle. So he survives the exorcism. He's still there. It's still there. But, he, you know, people just see it. Now, like I said before, we had the opportunity to tour it. We were given a tour by a gentleman by the name of Martin. He was... The best way they kind of described it to me was here in America, we have Amish people. And this young gentleman was equivalent to an an Irish Am Amish person. So a very nice gentleman. And he showed us the bloody chapel. We didn't go into the bottom portion of where the supposed demonic entity is, which is fine by Vina. <laughs> but the rest of the castle was very nice. It was very nice. It was a good visit. We didn't have any personal paranormal experiences. And I do not believe we took any pictures. Uh, probably video, but I'm having a hard time finding the video. Either way. So we did have an opportunity to visit Lep Castle. And it was certainly a wonderful bucket list item to click off. All right. So that is a mixture of various paranormal hotspots in Ireland. For anyone to check out. Now, as I mentioned before, I would like to end our trip to Ireland with a statue. Located in County Cork, this statue is called Kindred Spirits. And it is actually not paranormal related. This statue is considered a symbol of the kindred spirits shared between two vastly different nations from two vastly different parts of the world. So here's the background story. Between 1830 and 1850, starting with President Andrew Jackson, this mf -er, he decided to remove 
100,000 Native Americans from land that they, their family, their tribes, their clans had lived on for hundreds of years. And this movement, this genocide movement, would later become known as the Trail of Tears. So, again, starting in 1830, the collectively speaking, the five civilized tribes, the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, the Muscogee, and the Seminole tribes were basically rounded up and made to walk 500 miles to towards the middle portion of the landmass that would become America, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and unfortunately, because you know they just rounded them up, they didn't really prepare, they did not really care, a lot of people died along this Trail of Tears walk. Now, 16 years later, in Ireland, in 1845, begins the potato famine. And for years, this famine, this the Irish's most valuable crop, potatoes, gets hit with a fungi that basically kills their crops, destroys their food, source of food, source of revenue, and the Irish, who are made basically to starve because the British, who was in control, believed, well, you know, it's a sign from God to punish them, you know, these heathens. God is just punishing them, which I just fucking can't believe. But, and so instead of helping them, instead of uh, alleviating, you know, demands or providing them with food or, or finding any type of assistance, the Irish themselves walk hundreds of miles to their lord's manors to beg them for food, to beg them to ease up, to beg them for help. And, of course, they get turned away. So on their way back, the Irish, walking back to their homes that they've lived on for hundreds of years, basically just start dying, falling out from their walk and left to die, or basically die where they fall. And this unfortunate incident, this unfortunate moment in history, basically leads to the death of one million one million Irish people and one million other will leave Ireland forever. Now, naturally, some charities organize their very best to provide some sort of assistance to those who are clearly starving, starving to death in Ireland. And word spreads out across the ocean, across America, in Oklahoma, the Choctaw Indian tribe hears about the Irish starving to death from, ironically, an Irish soldier there to guard them and keep them on the reservation. And they hear how thousands made this walk to beg for assistance, to beg for food, to beg for their families. And they themselves, just 16 years prior, this horrible you know, trail of tears where they themselves were subjected to starvation and disease. And apparently in, in the year that they were made to walk was the coldest year on record in terms of winter's history. So they lost themselves and their people died, basically falling out and dying where they were walking, just like the Irish. So 
on March 23rd, 1847. And the anniversary of this of this moment is actually next week in Scurryville, Oklahoma. The Choctaw Indians raise $172 to send to Ireland to give help. So essentially, with this money, this Native American clan, this tribe, who had nothing and were forced to leave their home, raised to what is considered the equivalent of $5,000. And this incredibly humane historic moment never gets forgotten by the Irish. So fast forward to 2015, Ireland turned around and erected this incredible statue in memorial of this incredible act committed by the Choctaw Indians. And this statue actually gets, like I said, unveiled in 2015. And several of the chiefs of the Choctaw tribe actually makes their way to Ireland for this unveiling. And you can find this kindred spirit statue at the center of Balsic Park in Middleton County Cork. Now, this statue actually gets revealed after I had visited Ireland, so obviously I did not get to see it. But the statue consists of nine feathers, and it is in the shape of a bowl, which feathers are a symbol associated with Native Americans. And as if the, the ironies of history strikes again, when COVID hit the Native American tribes here in 2020, it was the Irish who donated to assist the Native American communities that have been struggling. And, you know, who would have thought, but that is the power of humanity.